So we're 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 in the dairy dairy zone. These few weeks we're talking about not milk this week. We're talking about cheese. The particular farm has cheese. Cheesy cheese. Cheesy cheese from Irish. Do you farm. love cheese, Jolene? Um, do I love cheese? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I I have <laughs> I have an interest in cheese. I do like cheese. I wouldn't say I'd be like absolutely fanatically falling about the place about cheese. Don't but, buy um, you a wheel of cheese for your birthday, so. A cheesecake. Depends on the uh, cheese. Depends, depends on, on the cheese. cheese. So I'm, okay. into, I'm into kind of like mild cheeses. I like kind of cheese that kind of tastes like almost like yogurty. Like or, ricotta. Ricotta. Yeah, that's nice. Or I like, um, like a bit of mozzarella. Okay. <laughs> I like a, a kind of young cheeses. That that's where I'd be going. I, w- I wouldn't be kind of like absolutely falling over myself, and I would have been wheel of blue moldy cheese. Right. So I'm on the other side of the fence. I love really strong, really mature, Very stinky cheeses. Yeah, yeah. Good, good. What's your favorite one? I change it. I change it all the time. I love Malines cheese. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love Malines cheese. I love showing people that if you take the cheese out of the fridge before you eat it, it is a thousand times better. It actually makes a huge difference when it's at huge room difference. Huge difference. It's probably the probably the biggest food thing. I mean, you should never cook meat until it's brought up to room temperature. Yeah, that's yeah. For, for for better cooking. But actually, in terms of eating, I think cheese is the really obvious one that fridges can kill kill yeah. flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, now, that's... hold on a second, because I was told by mm. somebody else mm. that you actually used to sell cheese. True, true statement. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is true. For many, many, many years, I uh, I stood out in the Crosshaven Farmers Market with my brother Dennis, and we sold cheese. It was all different Irish farmhouse cheeses, and uh, yeah, it was a bit of crack. I actually used to love talking to people about cheese because I get so excited. Do you know, like pe- people just so so passionate about the different flavors and I, I'd love kind of describing all those things as well and, and talking and tasting and, and just chatting about cheese and that was a lot of fun and um, yeah we used to get lots of different uh, cheeses from all around Cork and Kerry and, and, and sell them so we had like it was good crack. Okay so today we decided to speak to Siobhan Nigarot from Santola Goat's Cheese. Mm. Siobhan is a very active member in Kosh and she filled us in basically on, in particular, the Irish farmhouse cheese movement. Now, for me, this story, what fascinates me the most is that there's a temptation to feel like the industrialization of food is, is increasing every year. But mm. cheese is actually a good example that that's not necessarily true. So rewind back to 1970, all anybody was eating was industrialized cheeses. And over the last 40 to 50 years... Ireland has actually developed a massive farmhouse cheese industry, which is reflected in other countries too. Mm. Um, I mean, the figure that I have here is that in 2019, there was 27 million generated in product of farmhouse cheese in Ireland. So that to me is a sign that there is almost a moving away from industrialization with certain products and that an artisan movement and a grouping of different types of producers can actually generate a big industry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people as well, kind of eating farmhouse cheese is probably their first introduction really to kind of smaller artisans and smaller producers. Yeah, for sure. It is. It's, it's a gateway. 
uh, into exploring the different types of flavor profiles of products and kind of get excited about where they came from and find your favorites and enjoy and, and figure out different ones. Yeah, you're dead right. Yeah. So, Siobhan, could you, you maybe tell our listeners who are you and why are we talking to you about Absolutely. cheese? Hi, folks. Um, my name is Siobhan Garvey and I'm from St. Ola Goat Farm here in West Clare in Ina, just um, between Ennis and the Hinch. So I've uh, heard of 200 goats and counting because kidding has started, thankfully. <laughs> there's no lots of there. fun and kidding around on the farm. And um, I've been uh, working with fellow cheesemakers. I, I, I've been 21 years doing what I'm doing here at St. Tora. So I've been a long time in the industry and working with other lovely farmhouse cheesemakers throughout the country. Wow. So you're a goats cheesemaker yourself. And you're also involved in Kosh, aren't you? Yes, yeah, for my sins. <laughs> so okay. Once you, you get on Kosh committee, it's very hard to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I'm no, sure. It's a good thing. Networking has always been very important um, to me, and I would say for my business as well, you know, just the whole yeah. far, farming, and I suppose I'm a social being as well anyway. But yeah. I've been involved with Kosh in various roles. I mean, always as a member since I first started producing cheese. But I've been chairperson, treasurer, secretary, general dog's body, whatever. But it's a great networking event because when you're working, you know, when you're a very, very small enterprise, it's great to have an outlet to be able to discuss things with other fellow, you know, producers in similar situations as yourself. OK, so Kosh basically is a network of cheesemakers from around Ireland. Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. And you're also involved in the Raw Milk Presidia? Yes, yeah, yeah, something I'm very passionate about and very proud about. Um, I've always been a member of the slow food movement and international movement about, you know, maintaining and promoting traditional methods of producing food. And um, delighted a good number of years ago now at this stage, over 10 years ago, uh, a presidium was formed, which is a very a unique grouping. They're formed all over the world for different types of products. So we have only um, the other the other presidia we have in sorry we've two other presidias in Ireland we've one for the Blair um, the breads in Waterford we have one then uh, for the Cumber Mountain Lamb and then we have one for Irish raw milk cheese producers so now we just have I think it's seven members we have we're a very small very small bunch but we're a very determined and passionate bunch for producing and promoting raw milk cheeses amazing amazing well you're definitely the right cheesy lady to talk to so um can you kind of give us a little bit about the i suppose the backstory of irish cheese because it wasn't really a thing here until the 70s was it no yeah it was in the late 70s well centuries ago it was very much a thing because um we irish you know um religious organization monks and that actually became you know the the the, the, the makers and producers of cheese all over all over Europe and further afield when they traveled. So we have a long a, a long history of actually making cheese, you know, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. But that disappeared um, over the centuries and up to the like the mid 70s um, for about a quarter of a century before that, uh, the cheese that were made were being made more um, on an industrial basis, you know, by cooperatives. Um, and it was cheddar that was being made. That was very much mm. the time of the industrial um, revolution, the industrial e era. Um, except one exception, there was a small group of monks in, in Mascommon, actually Franciscan monks that continued okay. to make farmhouse cheese as, as we now know it then. But they even ceased in the early 70s. 
But then, thankfully, in the um, in the late seventies, um, a few enlightened farmers, or some of them weren't even farmers at the time, just people who moved to the countryside, decided, um, you know, to start making farmhouse cheese to make a living mm-hmm. for themselves, you know, on, on farms in Ireland. So it was actually in nineteen eighty three when Kosh, the Farmhouse Cheesemakers Association, was first established. And at that stage, there were about seven cheesemakers, the likes of. Um, uh, Norman and Veronica Steele in West Cork, um, mm-hmm. Coulee, Dick Williams and Helen in Coulee, mm-hmm. Louis Grubb, um, and uh, a number of about seven cheesemakers in 1983. And they came together as a network mm-hmm. being supported by um, the Department of Agriculture and UC, UCG, UCC at the time. So from mm-hmm. that, it has grown over the years. The industry has go- grown from strength to strength. And uh, mm-hmm. we now have more cheesemakers and cheeses per capita than they have even in the home of cheesemaking in France, or so people think. And we wow. have about sixty. We've about sixty different um, cheesemakers now in the country. Some of them seasonal, but with over two dif- two hundred different types of cheeses. So definitely, the okay. industry has grown from strength to strength. Wow, that's incredible. Wow. That's a good story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's great. I think a, a common myth is that like industrialization is destroying food, but what people don't realize is that that actually the the growth and the progression seems to be away from industrialization, and cheese is the proof of that. You know. Mm. Yeah, I think every time there has been a major uh, world event, people go back to their roots again. You know, like we saw in the last, mm-hmm. like we've just seen in the in the pandemic, and even when there've been other when there've been a uh, farmer uh, food scares, people start going back to the reality of where food come from food comes from mm-hmm. and they see the importance of you know artisan and producing you know local food and that bigger is not necessarily better and especially when it comes mm-hmm. to food yeah yeah and what do you think makes irish cheese i suppose stand out from um from its european counterparts what what makes us apart to the other cheesemakers that we're going to find out. Well, there. the Irish farmhouse cheese is something we're always kind of having to, I would say, just justify in, in, in the market, um, in the Irish market, it's just the export market, is because the size of our operations is what makes our mm. cheeses stand out. I mean, uh, the majority of the farmhouse cheeses here in Ireland are made from a couple of farms. And in most instances, okay. the cheesemaker could literally name the fields the milk has come from, the animals have come from. So, and obviously... They, they, we, we have a great reputation worldwide for our, you know, the quality of our dairy. And from that, obviously, from the very high quality of our milk, then you get very high quality cheese. But also it's because um, mm. the variance and size, you know, the variance around, around the country, the different types of cheese. But it comes first and foremost from the quality of the land, the quality of the grass, the mm. quality of milk produced, because cheese is milk for the more part just manipulated milk it's because of the quality of the milk that our cheeses stand out incredible i would say that the network itself and the support group as well tends to probably raise the quality of the cheeses in ireland because i don't i i as you know i live in italy i have a very yes. close friend here who's a fantastic cheese maker and we were talking yes. about cheese two days ago i was asking her because i said i'm going to do this podcast about irish cheese i'm going to learn all about the network and we're here, we're 10 minutes from Bra, which is the home of Slow Food, where all the Presidia are, are, are centred or where it all kind of comes from, the heart of the operation. And she said she wouldn't have too many cheesemaking people that she's in contact with all the time. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. But because, I mean, there are great cheesemakers in Italy. But I suppose the organisation, has Kosh, has been, you know, a strong network. I mean, we were the first network of its kind in Europe. 
Um, mm. For example, we, we would use an example, the Specialist Cheesemakers Association over in Britain. That was that was set up on, uh, it was based on, on Kosh, the Farmhouse Cheesemakers Association. And as, as you know, folks, you know, Irish people are good to talk and Irish cheesemakers are good to talk to. So we never have a problem with picking up the phone to one another, you know, yeah. when there's, you know, and marketing activity come on, or even when there's a problem, even more important when we have a problem or a difficulty, because like, like, like any business and definitely when it comes to cheese making and food production, you know, we all, we all have problems, but, but thankfully the organization are there and its members are there, you know, to, to help one another. Um, through the network, you know, to improve and motivate one another as well. Uh, it's, it, that, actually, this is such a common thread among all the conversations mm. we've had. Are we about 15 episodes into this now, Jolene? I was just about to say that. It keeps coming up and it up again, like the network the of people between Co- producers it, and that support and that cooperation, cooperation, yeah, not competition. Not competition. It's been said by so yeah. many different people. Siobhan, would you say as well that you feel that that cooperation extends to, to your to your consumers and your customers as well? Would you say that you, the people who are buying your cheese, loving your cheese, um, that you're in direct communication with them quite a lot? Yeah. Because I know you yes. do a lot of direct sale. Yeah, 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 very much so. And I mean, I don't do a lot, to, uh, the size we're at now at St. Ola, we don't do a lot of direct sales. Um, you know, we don't do a farmer's market mm. ourselves. We sell, we sell to people who sell at farmer's markets and we meet them. But I suppose with the whole thing and the opening up of social media and, you know, Twitter, Instagram and that there's constant communication now with, you know, with the people who buy our cheese and, and who use our mm. cheese, you know, the end consumer. And obviously networks mm-hmm. like Neighbor Food um, that you're involved in there has been a huge opportunity. And it's great for um, cheese producers to actually deliver their product into their customer because whether it's a shop or whether it's a farmer's mm. market, you get the opportunity to meet um, the people who are actually eating and buying your cheese, which has been crucial for us all because all of us in the Farmhouse Cheese Association, we all started by selling our cheese directly to people, whether it was outside the front door of the cheese mm. house or whether it was in a local farmer's market. And this um, communication and networking between the person who's eating our cheese and the cheesemaker is key to how the industry has progressed because it has given us ideas about you know and the maturity of our cheeses or the flavors of the cheeses or you know mm-hmm. what the customer wants i mean we won cheese ourselves our, our divine our very fresh curd that purely came about because the customer was looking for it because we were doing a more mature cheese you know our saint tola log and then when i was dealing with chefs the first thing they do would be would be break up the log and start smashing it and mixing it with all sorts of other food. And I'm like, what are you doing with my precious cheese? But I was moaning and minding like a baby growing up. And they said, we just needed to, you know, to blend it with other things. I said, well, I can give you a blended, you know, a cheese that's made for that. So communication, I mean, just not just as a cheesemaker, but I mean, in any small uh, business, communication is key and, and no, no keyer than with your customer because you learn so much from your customer and it leads you on to you know, more business and more interactions with that customer, but also it helps increase the market because, you know, the customer is your market and they're a great yeah. straw poll for what you need to be doing with your products or with your cheeses or your business. Yeah, I think that really shows creativity as well, isn't it? Between different people taking your cheese and changing it into to something else. Like it really, yes. uh, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite well, cool. People are very creative and we work a lot with chefs and, 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 and to be fair, people who buy, you know, artisan food products are very creative people themselves and are always experimenting, mm. you know, so it's great to it's yeah. great to work with them because 
sometimes I'm asked by chefs or somebody about a recipe would say into a line, go, oh my God. I said, no, I'm just the cheese maker. I have some basic recipes. <laughs> I use my cheese for, but that, that, that's your speciality. It's like working with cheese mongers, you know, they're, they're the people yeah. then, you know, who bring on your cheese and, you know, mature it in some cases, if you're not able to, if you don't have the facility to mature it yourselves and, you know, interact with the customer. I mean, interacting with the end consumer is key. And that has been the beauty and yeah. the success of neighbor foods, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny to say you're you're almost saying like that cheese is far more than just the, the flavor and the diversity and the types of cheese. It's actually as much about people as anything else, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's a relationship. It's living. Yeah. You know, it, it's a lifestyle. It, 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 it's I mean, as you say, the networking. And I mean, that yeah. that's why most cheesemakers are into cheese, into cheese making. They're not in it to become a millionaire. They're in it because mm. it's of the life, you know, the life choices it, it gives them, you know. And the people mm-hmm. they interact with through their cheese making skills, you know, it's about a life mm-hmm. skill. It's a much bigger mm-hmm. picture. It's not a. It, it, no, you still have to have it. Obviously, you have to be sensible from business point of view if it is your only source of income. But for the mm-hmm. majority of them, you, you, I mean, you'd be mad. People say blessed are the cheese makers, but among ourselves, we say mad are the cheese makers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good madness. <laughs> Plenty of laughs. Plenty of laughs. That's for sure. Those cheesemakers are having an absolute skit, so they are. Yeah, I have never met a dull cheesemaker, for sure. They're definitely a bit of crack, but you know what else is a bit of crack? Is the descriptions that comes with cheese. It's almost like wine, if not better. <laughs> it is. Will we explore so, Yeah, I think we should look through, basically, what are you looking for and how do you talk about cheese? How do you talk to the cheesemonger without sounding like a moron? Hmm? Well, you can talk to me, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's start with the aroma, the smell of mild cheese, because that's my favorite. You've got floral, perfumed, Mm -hmm. earthy. Earthy's a good one. It's like, yeah, you're in the forest. Yeah, the natural kind of flavors you're looking for. Earthy, nutty sweet grassy these kind of light a light kind of aroma fresh Mm -hmm. that's exactly what we're looking for okay let's get back to our conversation with Siobhan and you know what I love about cheese and of course exports is a is an important part for cheese makers and there's definitely a time and a place for Irish cheeses to feature in other countries and be 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 celebrated by people who love tasting cheese and they want to they want to go to a cheese shop where they can taste cheeses from all over the world but in reality cheese is one of the greatest ways to experience a place mm. that you go to visit I agree because yeah. almost everywhere has some local cheese yes yeah and it's a great way to kind of yeah like terroir is a word that's used a lot to describe the taste of the wine from the place but you can't replicate a cheese from a a place you just can't it's it's a it's a it's an emblem of that kind of land and of Mm. the the craft of that area and it it is something i always kind of think about whenever i go and and very much yeah very much so when it's an artisan when it's an artisan cheese um Mm. you know we even a few years ago we we did distinguish and we worked with the food safety authority on that, that um distinguish between you know artisan farmhouse and speciality because they are three different things mm-hmm. and they can be confused and the consumer can be confused thinking they're all the one and even the marketplace you know i think in the larger marketplaces like with supermarkets they like to muddy the water between speciality farmhouse and artisan because they can see that they can be equated as all like Every speciality cheesemaker wants to be seen as an artisan cheesemaker. Mm. But yeah. so, what is the actual definition between them all? 
Um, well, speciality cheese um, doesn't come from a single-use farm or any area. So you can have a big cooperative making a speciality cheese, as in special mm. in its flavor or in its shape. It has nothing to do with uh, sourcing of milk supply or what area it comes from, you know? Okay. Um, so, so that can just be a, a, a flavor or shape of a cheese. Mm-hmm. Farmhouse then would mean that it is made just in one location, Okay. Um, but the milk supply can come from a number of farms or even from a smaller cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas an artisan cheese then or an artisan product is um, a cheese that would come from, you know, a single a single use farm, a single mm-hmm. use supplier, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not something that's advertised out there. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. those definitions were brought in, but, you know. But, but people and, can can see that in marketing materials, really, isn't yes. it? Like the people are saying, we're 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 an Irish farmhouse cheese, we're a speciality cheese, we're an yeah. artisan producer, and so on. So it's yeah. it's great to have that real yeah. knowledge as to what is yeah. the difference yeah. between. And them. there is a lot more information out there that you can dig down through. You can drill down to see exactly what a product you know what a product is or what what, what a producer is. Do you know what I mean? You mm-hmm. know, which mm-hmm. is important because not just in the cheese industry, but in the food industry as a whole, there's a lot of things going on that people wouldn't mm. be aware of you know yeah, there's so, but that's just sourcing with sourcing a product is what i'm talking C- about clever mm. clever use of marketing words <laughs> might, yes. might, might be it and, <laughs> and i suppose one of, one of the ways we, we could actually find out about it is by transparent marketing really and and genuine labeling like have yes. you any thoughts on 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 that labeling is a big hobby horse of mine is it tell <laughs> us marketing uh because labeling, we, we, we believe, most people, we believe what we see. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people buy a product, uh, by their packaging, as opposed to by the, by the product itself, which is a pity. Mm. I would say that's different in farmer's markets and that places where there's less packaging, you know. Mm. But um, people go by what's written on the printed word, because the printed sure. word costs an awful, you know, costs, carries an awful lot of weight. Sure. Uh, but you have to be very careful that you read the very tiny, tiny print, because mm. that's usually where the true information is <laughs> mm. Mm. with regards mm. to where the main ingredients of a product has come from. Um, because within labeling laws at the moment, um, like even though we're a very successful industry, you know, the farmhouse cheesemakers and small artisan producers, we still don't don't have the same say or clout with, you know, officials when it comes to labeling that so big companies mm. have a lot more money and a lot more you know a lot more clout when it comes to um you know labeling labeling laws and um sourcing of product um is very much in the small small print and you can you can at the moment totally legally bring in product from abroad you can even bring in cheese from abroad leave it sitting in your maturing shelf or chamber and you then can put a lovely Irish name on the branding, on the labelling, mm. and there'll be an EU number, and then there will be very small print in the back. But I, t- I talk about very small print, and mm. you know, most people, most people, I would say, are you know under time pressure, so they'll just see this nice, cute country cottage or mm. a shamrock or something or a nice name. I mean, th- this has been well publicised in the media. You know, a lot mm. of the larger. Um, food companies and even retailers, you know, calling, you know, products called um, Joe McCarthy's 
Ham say, and then mm. actually, when you look at yeah. it, it's not Joe McCarthy's ham at all. It's, 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 it's <laughs> whoever. Yeah. Kind of thing. yeah. So no. you really need to. You really need to look at. Don't go by what's at the front of the packaging. Go what's at the back of the packaging in very small print. Yeah, th- this isn't a, compl- a complaining podcast, so I'm always cautious to not get too right. emotive on things myself. But I, but I yes. will say on this particular topic, there is a responsibility that needs to be done in labelling in Ireland. Mm. There needs to be regulations yes. that are put in that are better. The work that's done in other countries, like in relation to, for example, initially the DOC, so yes. the DOC would be, if it comes from this area, it can have that label. If it is not in that area, if it is 10 feet outside of that area, it can't have that label. And it is so ingrained in law, it is incredibly rigidly stuck to. But for yes. example, in Ireland, if you import a chicken from Thailand and you piece that chicken in Ireland, mm. you can label it as Irish chicken. Yeah. Um, You know, and you're explaining the example of the of the vision and that, that's not a manipulation you know like that's not marketing savvy people creating a way to get around labeling that is just yeah. a fail that is just a failing in regulation yeah so the one that drives me bananas is freshly caught irish fish yeah. all fish is freshly caught and because it says irish fish does not mean it was landed in ireland it likely came from irish waters got landed in france and got flew over here so yeah. that drives me bananas, that one. That's my particular bugbear. Yeah. But I do think that it's not just marketing execs manipulating. I think there's actually a lacking oh, in effort being made. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree totally with you. I'd agree totally with mm. you. But I mean, labeling, and it's not something that's been tackled. I mean, because er, er, every business has to go by the labeling laws, you know? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. Do they put the flavors on the labels? Mm, yeah, maybe, yeah. Have you ever seen barnyardy smell on a label? <laughs> What's barnyardy? <laughs> it's one of the strong aromas that you get with cheese. The ones like I don't like, the ones that you like. I mean, like the smell onion, of funky, musty, sour. They're okay. the ones you get excited about, right? So we're moving into kind of like harder cheeses, slightly more matured cheeses. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what we're thinking about here is gamey, so kind of like salamis. We're earthy again, but maybe it's more like a pile of wet leaves or the smell of like a, a cellar kind of um, other types of flavors then come in here would be food, aromatic food things, so like garlicky or oniony. Yeah. Kind of, I suppose, really pungent, but like, I, I, I guess in a good way, you know, it's kind of bold, it's aggressive, it's, it's funky. Yeah, and because you're aging the milk here, there's going to be a sour kind of thing coming in. Yeah, so, fermented almost. Yeah, and which is like a high kind of a kind of a smell. Okay, so that's what strong cheese smells like. On with the show, Siobhan, we, we we've talked so much, and something we've overlooked is: can you tell us um, actually about Saint Ola? Can you talk about the range? Can you talk about the types of cheeses that you're making? Yeah. So we're making a variety from very um, soft, fresh, um, spreadable St. Ola divine curd to our more um, mature log and then our Greek style cheese. So we've arranged about seven or eight different types of cheeses all together. We made some hard from from year to year. We make some hard cheese when we have, say, an oversupply of milk, uh, like happened at the beginning of the pandemic. But I can't see ourselves making much St. Ola hard cheese into the future. We're, We're known for our soft cheeses our fresh log 
um, our mature log, of course, our ash croton and our ash log. Um, I suppose with St. Tota, because there are a number of other soft goats cheese makers in the country as well, but we are known for kind of maturing our cheeses on. Mm. We, we've Over the 21 years, we've brought our customers along with us, you know, to show um, the difference in flavours between very fresh mm-hmm. cheese and the more mature cheese and how you're getting a, re- a real flavour of, you know, of provenance and terroir when, you, when you're tasting the more mature cheeses with the natural geotrichum rind on them. I was about to say that ash log is phenomenal. Uh, thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's gone down very well. I suppose it came out of the idea of we were looking at usually in January and February when things get quieter, we have more times for creative ideas. And I suppose we are close to uh, the cliffs of Moher and the burn and the, the karst landscape, you know. And the whole idea just came from, you know, uh, we've gone over and back to France a lot, you know, because they know a lot more about goat's cheese than, than, than we do here in Ireland. And they had the, this traditional method of, of spraying the, you know, the food grade charcoal on the cheese to originally started out as a way of actually keeping flies away from mm. your cheese when you were at farmers markets in the heat. But it actually, it's a lovely combination, the potassium and the alkalinity of, 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 of the ash and then the acidity of the curd just combined so well. And it has really mm-hmm. inca- encapsulated the flavor of the cheese. And we've been very happy with it. It's- Okay, speaking about goats. So someone told yes. me before that you have an interesting story about goats. Maybe it was when you started. Was it about certain goats being discarded and you figured out a way to not do that? Am I on to something here? Uh, to do with goat's meat, I presume you're talking yes. about. Is it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, there's obviously, there's always demand for female uh, goat kids because obviously they're, they're, they're producers of milk, whereas the male goat, there isn't such a demand. It's not good to be male in the goat world. Or well, in it's the, the same in humans as well. In the Use, animal oh. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go down that road now. <laughs> I think the sympathy still lies with the females, even in humans, Jack, at the moment. <laughs> but... Um, we just saw, you know, we thought it was off, you know, because when a nanny goat's kid, um, the majority of them have, have, have actually have more than a single goat. They have twins. Normally, it's 50-50 between male and female. So there's a lot of male kids born, you know, mm-hmm. um, with no great demand for them. But we started developing, actually, first of all, by a number of our customers, the likes of um, McCredden, the Brook Lodge up there in County Wicklow, uh, they were looking to source goat meat. So we purposely kept on... Um, um, male kids for them and fatten them up you know and right. um, there still obviously isn't much of demand it did go back a good bit with um with the pandemic with the hospitality sector so mm. um closed because i mean a lot of us cheesemakers have been successful because people have got to eat our cheese i mean the whole industry got successful you know even wash my unusual cheeses is because people taste them first of all in 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 kitchen in, in restaurants or, or yes. you know yeah. we can, yes we, we used to be, I was going to say, we used to be a cautious nation when it came to trying out new products. And it's only when we tasted them in restaurants that we actually then said, oh, we like actually like that. We'll buy it next time we see it in a shop or a market. Mm, now, I think exactly. that has changed, very much changed in the last 10 years. Yeah, and huge credit to the chefs and the restaurateurs for upping the game so much over 10 years, which oh, is in turn massively affecting what's appearing on the shelves. Oh, very much so. Mm. I mean, any small producer, a food producer would say if it hadn't been for the chefs in this country, 
you know, we wouldn't be as successful as we are because yeah. they, they, they get our product out there, get people to, you know, to taste it and get people to know about it uh, between themselves and, and the great support we get from the media, both local and nationally, to get a name out there for, for new products. And, mm. and, and we as a nation, we have become better at trying new things ourselves. We're not just waiting to try it out in the restaurant, first of all. You know, we have come a long way. I would have seen that over the last two decades that I've been making Santola cheese. Brilliant. Yeah. I really, great, great I point. I really agree with you. Now, what about the flavor of cheese? Because that's quite different to the smell. Often something tastes so differently to what it smells like. Would you agree? Absolutely. Especially when it comes to the fresh cheeses so now we're moving on to the mozzarellas the ricotta that kind of thing yeah often they're not going to have a huge amount on the nose but these this is where you're 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 tasting the differences yeah yeah they're quite clean they're kind of light and they're pleasant and they're yeah they're slightly sweet yeah citrusy like Mm -hmm. a little bit of lemon or something you're fruity again but this time it's more like maybe fresh fresh fruits rather than yeah 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 and Mm -hmm. kind of buttery and butterscotchy like you know consistency right yeah, yeah, and they're, I suppose, creamy and milky, a little bit herbal. Sure. Sweet. Yeah, and spring, spring-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, there's that yeasty flavour, that kind of aroma of baking bread or the smell of a wine cellar, but it's not overpowering. But obviously much, much less, yeah. And then for me, what I usually notice, particularly with mozzarella, actually, is like a metallic type of flavour. So mm. kind of like, almost like a soapy, kind of basic kind of basic much better than basic well not basic as in boring basic but basic as in the opposite of acidic i would just say they're just kind of faint but not overpowering okay (laughs) but this is your realm so we'll let you have okay (laughs) um one of the things you wanted to talk about as well i suppose was um the understanding that the general public has in terms of the cost of food production like people don't really understand or can can appreciate how much stuff costs and yet when they see stuff on the supermarket shelf they're like of course it's only this much yes. whereas is that a true reflection of of, of what the cost yeah. is uh, yeah i think people only become <sighs> anybody who's ever tried to even grow a head of lettuce mm. <laughs> will know you know the time and effort that goes into growing a product you know mm. And um, unfortunately, I mean, we uh, down through the decades, we no longer were a farming nation mm. like we once were, mm. you know. So a lot of people were removed from the land and removed from the whole experience of even growing anything or buying any, anything. Mm. And we became, you know, part of developing on from industrialization, we became used to the big supermarket mm. and the price of products on the supermarket and the availability of products mm. and the range of products of the supermarket. And I think, you know, a lot of people have lost the way as to what the cost, you know, what the cost of producing food is mm. in mm. and how we prioritize how we spend our money. Mm. I mean, you can see over the years, the decades, um, say the family budget or, or the household income, um, where it's been spent and what percentage has been spent on what. And, and the, the, the percentage that's been spent on food is less and less. Mm. And even though it's one of the most important things, I mean, health and food, what we put into our bodies has to affect our bodies and our health. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, people have to become more aware. I think people have become aware when there have been when there has been scarcity of food, mm. whether it was to do a number of years ago 
you know, when, when shelves were empty because of the very bad snow. Do you remember we got that and trucks mm-hmm. weren't able to come in? Mm-hmm. People, that's when people began to come aware of uh, the sourcing of food and the costing of food. But um, it's kind of going back a bit to the conversation we had about there's a big difference between a small producer and a huge producer. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of people's eyes, we are put into the same category. Mm-hmm. But the costs of production are totally different, mm. you know, mm. because not only the, the cost of production, actually because of the size of a business, but also because of the quality of the ingredients mm. and the sourcing of the ingredients that people are using. Yeah. So instead of instead of a person questioning why is a product so what they see as expensive, mm. they should actually question why is a product actually so cheap? Mm. Yeah. How can you buy yeah. a whole chicken far? four to five euro if you just think about yes. it you know yeah. people use logic how can you buy you know a piece of cheese you know for two euro like a 300 gram block mm. of cheese you know what i mean so it, it, i think we need to get into people's head instead of saying oh that's very expensive people don't argue um in the same way because the way the marketing has been done say when it comes to wine mm. you know th- there's such a variant there's different levels of you know of, of price brackets when it comes to wine within mm. a, you know and people seem to appreciate that and understand that mm. whereas when it comes to other food products including cheese there isn't the same understanding of it yeah. you know the same understanding and and it's up to us um as food producers to keep on banging that drum and getting that out there mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that it, we should be seeing you know there are different levels of production which will in turn result in different levels of cost and and thus different levels of pricing yeah you know, because Siobhan, one goat's cheese is not the same as another goat's cheese. They course. cannot be the same price. Yeah. yeah. Re- recently, we were reviewing our, our website on neighbor food and I was rewriting the ethics and philosophies and who we work with type section because COVID became, you know, an, an economic crisis point for a lot of traders and producers. And it was a lot of like, let's just quickly go. And we needed to kind of we've sorted that out now and we've 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 cleared up the way in which we identify who it is that we'd love to work with. But it's it's a very difficult one to do because in different industries, uh, there are different rules and there are different levels of of ethos and commitment that people have. Mm-hmm. And mm. one of the main points that I feel in it, and from Neighborfood's point of view, but we want to work with producers that care about the quality of the product as opposed to the profit, profitability of the product. So what was the yeah. point of creating this? Was it to try and make as much money as possible or was mm. it to try and make the best product as possible? And yeah. I think that that when you look at that and then you start thinking about it in that way and you start looking at products, if you sit down with, let's use cheese as an example, a big piece of, you know, industrialized cheese, it might not be a plasticky cheddar. I, this could be, yeah. let's say, a, a, a blue, or... like, like a very, a very industrialized blue. Mm. Yeah. And you sit down with crackers and, and you start eating and you kind of look back over and you go, Jesus, I've eaten like a huge, a crazy amount of that. Yeah. Like, that's thickening. Yeah. And then you sit down with an incredibly good quality blue that has been made for the point of being the best cheese it can. Yes. About a third of the way into it, you're feeling... I'm sated. I really enjoyed every bit of that. Yeah. Because there's been no effort to inflate the size or make yeah. it bigger or dumb down the flavor so you eat more of it, you know. And th- yeah. that's because that was the point. The point was let's make a big cheese we can sell a lot of for a small amount of money. Yeah. And then when you start looking at it in that way, your fridge is a little bit smaller, but you're nourished so much better. Yeah. And ultimately, you do eat cheaper. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it actually is. The amount you spend on food each week is less. 
Uh, and I'm really yeah. adamant about that because I know it. I keep an eye on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I to- I totally agree with you. Less, less is more. Uh, mm. More, more is in uh, better nutrition wise, and but but you're actually spending less. But we we've been getting we've you know we've got used a lot of processed food and that which is very expensive. If you mm. look if you actually look at it, you know, because yeah. I mean the big problems I would say in people you know who come from the lower socioeconomic you know and unlimited budgets. But the way what they're spending their food, what they're spending their money on food wise is isn't good for them at all from a healthy from a healthy point of view. Mm. You know what I mean? And I mean, I'm one of these people that I never wanted Santola cheese only to be for the elite, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and it was only seen in your Michelin star restaurant or in mm. your very high end, you know, cheesemongers, which is, you know, in Dublin or Neil Yard, London. I wanted because I'm passionate about having healthy food mm. for everybody, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it to be available, you know, in every county in Ireland if people wanted a good quality goat's cheese. Mm. It wasn't the case of, oh, this is going to be something rare I can only get when I go to the big smoke up to Dublin or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but still trying to do that, but ma- ma- maintain the quality of it, you know. A- and you do come under an awful lot of pressure. I mean, as I say, we're turning away at least 60% of our orders at the moment right well, this last month and this month 60 well, percent we're saying having the cheese having the cheese others would import milk or import curd make the cheese well and put the put it in the same packaging brand do you, you know what mm. i mean and there are pressures to you know within within just not just with government ages but kind of, oh you must get bigger you're so well you must get bigger you mm. must do more you must do more export you must go up. but no you don't have to yeah. and if you're genuinely producing a high quality food you know especially say in the cheese industry there are different type of it very much depends on the product category you're in bigger is not better mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's not better yeah and going back to what you said jack i mean Countries produce fabulous food, each individual country, and it tells you so much about a country. Mm-hmm. I am not a believer in, I don't want to grow hugely export-wise. I do only about 5% export of my cheese mm-hmm. well, because I feel just, you know, it's about encouraging countries to produce products, you know, that, that are sustainable in their own country mm-hmm. because our biggest issue facing us all now is actually climate change, you know, is climate change. Mm-hmm. And flying, flying food from one end of the world to the other end of the world is definitely not going to help that. And it's not going to help the people in the poorer nations. Yeah. Yeah, it's also not going to continue. We can, there's no point in even fighting it because carbon taxes and different things will come in, you know, and it just oh. won't happen. Oh, they will. But, they, it, but, they, but then you will find some food will only be available to the multimillionaires. Mm. You, you know, this kind of, you know, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm battling that one hard. <laughs> <laughs> In my little corner of West Clare here. <laughs> um, so I, I think actually that's been, that's been a really nice kind of insight into, I suppose, the creativity and I guess the confidence that that's in the Irish farmhouse cheese industry, really, Siobhan. Thanks for, uh, th- thanks for telling us all about that. But I suppose my question is, like, if you could think back of all the different people that you've encountered in your cheese world, is there any heroes there for you? Anybody uh, okay. who's who's shone a shone a light particularly strong in your uh, yeah, I mean a day. few have stood a few have stood out over the years because I mean I came in as a greenhorn not knowing nothing I came from a teaching background and I'm just looking at those people who were real inspiration at the start and who were very brave at the start I wouldn't have called myself brave because I came in when the industry was established mm-hmm. the likes of Veronica and Norman Steele mm-hmm. they were the first people 
you know, in the late 70s, you know, to start, you know, to start yes. give up their life in Dublin, move down the countryside yeah. and to begin making Milleen's cheese. Um, then um, others then followed and then say the likes of Louis and Jane Grubb okay. to start producing a blue cheese in Ireland. Oh, my God. Unheard of. To take on the Stiltons and the Greers of the world. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Wow. That yeah. was that was brave, I must say. Yeah. Then the likes of, we wouldn't, um, as an industry, we wouldn't have been anywhere without the likes of, say, Neil Jardieri, Randolph Hodgkins, who started who started actually his wholesale business at his shops okay. around the same time as, 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 the, as the burgeoning, you know, cheese, you know, cheese uh, producers, mm-hmm. because... You can produce a product, but if you can't sell it, you know. Yeah, that's um, good. So, Neil Jardieri, yeah. I would say, because you have to have, you know, you have to have people developing a lot with you. Um, Sheridan's cheesemongers have done an awful lot for the industry. Mm. They started in the early 90s, just help and helping bringing uh, the consumer as well as the people in the industry along with them, you know, to improve on quality. Mm. Like we don't, the majority of us don't want to sit in our lords. We want to improve. That's just the kind of, people we are we want to improve the quality of what we're at and be mm. continue to be creative mm. um we've had great people like kieran jordan supporting us in chagas as well okay you know. so a, an impossible yeah. task to ask you to pick one person it sounds like there's just so many inspirational characters there along the way isn't there very much so yeah yeah, yeah. if i was to pick one i'd say veronica Steele. <laughs> <laughs> me too yeah <laughs> And we come to the end of this cheesy episode. Yeah, thank you so much to Siobhan for taking the time to have a little bit of a chat with her. She is a breath of fresh air, no? No, she really is. It was really, really lovely to chat to her and uh, just hear so much about the industry. But come here, before we actually wrap up, we have not got to your favourite strong flavoured cheese. Can we talk a little bit about these complex beauties? So this is kind of like blues, aged cheeses maybe even gooey softer cheeses ones with a really 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 rich kind of flavor ones you wouldn't eat a lot of you know ones that you just have to kind of watch out because the flavor might just knock you out is it yeah and often here the smell would be knocking people out more than the flavor would Mm -hmm. so what we're Mm -hmm. talking about here is like meaty tangy kind of like almost like a taste of salty bacon caramelized like a cooked like complex full flavored robust strong explosive these are lovely words jack i mean you should write the labels (laughs) yeah yeah and actually another good point is that especially initially where i live when you choose a gorgonzola so gorgonzola is the the blue from italy Mm -hmm. stilton from the uk um, and roquefort from france you're gonna be uh, asked do you want it piquant or not Oh, really? Okay. That's yeah. So over here, it's piquant or not. Okay. Um, yeah. So you're looking for a peppery, almost like a spicy Spiciness. thing, a tickle. It's like the end of your tongue is kind of tanging away from it, mm. you know, mm. and they're very ripe. Yeah. And you know what I get about these strong cheeses? That they're very sharp. You know, yeah. like there's this like acidic, really noticeable bang me up flavor. Like it's just boom. For sure. And like when you eat these types of cheeses, there's an initial massive kind of flavor thing going on in your mouth. And then there's a huge length that's there afterwards Mm. which is something that they talk about a lot with wine and it's the same with cheese how long is the flavor kind of staying or evolving as you eat it Mm. do you know what i do like about strong cheeses though is the smoked Mm. ones it's probably because the smoke kind of maybe overpowers the smell of the cheese (laughs) the smoke can do it takes a really good cheese maker to make a a good smoked cheese you know because it can just all go that way but there are some amazing smoked cheeses that i've had 
Okay. Look, let's wrap it up here, folks. Um, really nice to talk about cheese. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, take care. Bye.